Ever wondered what unicorns eat for breakfast? Okay, so I don't actually know. But I do know that 20% of all unicorn startups are using HubSpot. And for good reason. HubSpot's all-on-one platform levels up your sales, software, and support. Plus, they have a huge collection of resources to help startups scale. And with the HubSpot for Startups program, you could save big off your first year. To see if you're eligible to save on HubSpot, visit HubSpot.com startups. Good morning, everyone. It's Wednesday, August 16th. I'm Mark Dent here with Rob Litterst, and this is the Hustle Daily Show. Today, we're going to be talking about the rich, specifically a lot of rich people who feel like they're poor. Yeah. But first, we're going to talk about everything else going on in the world of business and tech. Rob, start us off. What have you been reading about? All right, Mark. So the first thing that came across my desk this morning is an acquisition, D2C underwear brand Parade, which has been called the favorite underwear of the internet, is going to get acquired by Fruit of the Loom licensee Ariella and Associates International. The price is unknown at this point, but Parade was valued at $200 million in August of 2022. And the interesting thing here is Parade is kind of like one in that long line of DSC companies that just kind of like crushed a category, gave a new spin on the category, mm-hmm. smaller extent of like a Warby Parker. And I think it's been pretty well documented how a lot of those companies are struggling. The economics of D2C haven't worked out as well as people kind of thought they might, I think, in the early days of that. A lot of them have moved into brick and mortar stores and yeah. have found the economics have been rocky. Yeah, the way that I think some of these D2C brands have succeeded is by no longer being D2C. Right, And going into the brick and mortar stores, like Parade, for instance, has been in Target. Exactly. And getting into these big box stores that they were supposed to be the antithesis of. Right. It's interesting because it seems like acquisitions are a pretty natural way for these D2C companies to break out and get out of that hamster wheel of, of trying to make it. There have obviously been a lot of D2C acquisitions like that. I think like Coke and Pepsi are probably like the biggest offenders of this. It seems like they essentially buy up like every new brand that's getting somewhat popular in the food and beverage space. But interesting nonetheless, and probably a smart move for Fruit of the Loom and Ariella and Associates International to inject some new life into the brand. What have you been checking out, Mark? You know, there's a lot going on with the Star Wars Hotel. Ooh. Yeah, perhaps our listeners may be aware that Disney Parks, over the last 18 months or so, has offered a galactic star cruiser experience in Orlando, Florida. They decided that they're going to close that. They announced this a few weeks ago, but a lot of the numbers are kind of starting to trickle out about what this hotel really was and what it cost Disney. And the headline is that on their recent Q3 earnings call, the company revealed the closure of this hotel is going to cost them $250 million. Wow. At least in my head, a lot of the time with some of these franchises that Disney owns, it kind of feels like they could just do literally whatever they want with those Mm -hmm. brands and it'll be successful. This is kind of a check on that because I would have thought that a Star Wars hotel would absolutely clean up. I mean, my in-laws are huge Star Wars fans. I don't even know if they know about this thing. And maybe that's part of the problem is it just didn't get as much widespread. I I almost think it feels to me that Disney actually tried pretty hard on this and they made a good hotel. It was this immersive experience, costumes, actors, themed food and drinks, roles that guests can play, 
So it was really fun. And it, it wasn't one of those things where they're like, oh, we just own Star Wars and we'll just market some cheap stuff to people. This was actually a good quality thing. Right. But that also made it very expensive. A minimum two-night stay for two started at $4,800. Oh, my So goodness. that could also be why your parents haven't heard of it. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? But, yeah, so I, I think it was like they almost went too far in on this. Right. And it, it just was never going to make financial sense for them. And they had to cut costs right here where they could. And, you know, Bob Iger, the CEO of Disney, has been on a cost-cutting mission he wants to cut $5.5 billion here. Disney's been laying off thousands of employees. You know, they've, of course, been exploring the sale of some of their companies that we thought would probably never be up for sale. So right. this is, I think, just a very small part of that, but is illuminating to kind of show what's going on as a whole at Disney right now. Totally. And that's interesting that you say that about how expensive the hotel was and how it was limited to 100 rooms. I feel like obviously Disney World and Disneyland, their parks are getting more expensive, but I don't think Disney's ever really positioned themselves as kind of like a premium brand. I feel like their brand has always been, you know, like enjoyable experiences for the whole family, yeah. right? No matter who you are. And so it's, it's kind of weird to me that they went that high end with the hotel. I feel like a less high end version of this with more affordable rooms would probably do really well, but I guess we'll have to see. Maybe when Iger gets done cost cutting and they get back into the hotel game. Right. Yeah. Before we get into our big story, we got a couple more things here still related to, you know, TV and entertainment, which first is that in July, broadcast and cable TV viewing fell below less than 50% of Americans' TV usage for the first time since TVs existed. That's going back 70 plus years. And then finally, LG is going to launch a new TV product, a $999 TV in a suitcase that's set to be available later this month in the U.S. So even if you're not watching linear TV at home, as many aren't, you can at least bring it with you when you go camping or tailgating and watch that football game, I guess. Awesome. All right. So let's move on to the big story. We are going to talk about a recent survey from Bloomberg, which found something surprising about the top 10% of income earners in the U.S. What was that, Rob? Okay, so what's interesting here, this Bloomberg survey captured over a 1,000 people who are in the top 10% of earners in the United States, and a quarter of those respondents, all of which are making over $175,000 a year, identified as either very poor poor or getting by, but things are tight. Huh. So over more than half of those surveyed, people that are dubbed the regular rich said that they worry about money. And it really raises the question, what does it mean to be rich? And it makes it really hard to answer the question, are you rich? <laughs> yeah, Rob, it's kind of when you see how much these different parts of life that most people consider necessary for even like a middle-class existence college education, being able to save for retirement, healthcare. These things have all gone up. Housing, of course, has gone up a ton. Right. And so it's really skewed the way a lot of people, I think, regardless of what income bracket they're in, has made them feel a little bit differently. I think that there's a lot to unpack about still how much harder it is if you're not making 175K plus per year. But, you know, these costs, they've objectively gotten higher and are more expensive for everyone. 
Yeah, I think you make a great point. A, a huge part of it is where you live. And especially if you're living in cities, I think it's really, really hard to answer that question because it's so, so expensive to live there. I mean, I have buddies who live in New York City who make considerably more money than friends who live like out in the country and out in the suburbs, but have way less disposable income than those friends in the suburbs because of how expensive their rent or their mortgage are in the city. So it's really, really hard to kind of look at those things apples to apples. Yeah. It's also such a a big part of it is kind of lifestyle creep and kind of your psychology around money. I'm, I'm literally reading that book by Morgan Housel right now, The Psychology of Money. Oh, yeah. And a huge part of it is just figuring out like what you care about and what you want to spend on. Yeah. It's one of those things where if you don't have kind of well-sorted values on what you want to spend money on, you can kind of fall victim to the whole treadmill of trying to keep up with the Joneses and spending money on all sorts of stuff. And he cites tons of examples in this book. And I think part of that could be fueling some of these responses from the folks that are making, you know, for all intents and purposes, like $200,000 a year. Yeah. So is anybody feeling comfortable uh, according to this survey? That is a really good question. I think the bulk of millionaires in the survey acknowledge that they're comfortable. Okay, thank God. So once you get to seven figures, it sounds like you at least are self-aware enough to <laughs> to realize, okay, I'm, I'm in a pretty good spot here. Yeah. And what's interesting here is a lot of the people that answered and responded as millionaires are doctors. Mm. The average US physician salary is now $350,000 per year, and that's according to the Washington Post. But the top 10% of doctors are now commanding salaries of $1.3 million or more. So really wild there. I mean, I think if you're making that much, you should feel pretty comfortable. Yeah. Who knows? So. Maybe you've got a little McMansion or something like that that you got to pay for. Who knows? Yeah. Well, one of the latest things people are, are paying for are submersibles aboard super yachts. <laughs> so if you're in that income bracket, then you cannot say that you are um, poor or just getting by. Yeah, that things is are just... Tight. The things that people spend money on, it's crazy, man. Yeah. It's crazy. Just live a modest life, right? Come on now. There you go. Well, that will do it for us today. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to the Hustle Daily Show. We're a proud part of the HubSpot Podcast Network. Our editor today is Robert Hartwig, and our executive producer is Darren Clark. We've got a lot more tech and business coverage in our newsletter. So if you're not subscribed, then go get signed up at thehustle.co slash email. We'll catch you tomorrow. Hey, everybody. Let me tell you about this great podcast that's available right now. Creator Science, hosted by Jay Klaus, is brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, which is the audio destination for business professionals. Creator Science goes behind the scenes with today's top creators. Through narrative interviews, Jay Klaus explores how creators like Tim Urban, James Clear, Tori Dunlap, and Cody Sanchez are building their audiences today. And by learning how these creators make a living with their art and creativity, Creator Science can help you gain tools and confidence to do exactly the same. I was actually listening to an episode recently where Jay had on Dr. K, who is a Harvard psychiatrist. And Dr. K helps a lot of creators with performance, burnout, and dealing with a lot of negative feedback online. It's a great hour of conversation with Dr. K, where Dr. K really breaks down what it means to be a creator today and the burnout that a lot of creators do experience and what to do when you get that burnout, because you will. And you can listen to Creator Science wherever you get your podcasts, and I definitely suggest it. Listen to Creator Science wherever you get your podcasts.